You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Katie Burke. Hi, everybody. Today, we're back doing our series on Ducks Limited History with our guest, Dan Thiel. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thank you, Katie. So today we're going to talk about Thomas C. Maine. And I think we'll talk about a couple other people while we talk about Thomas C. Maine. There's a few other people that are going to jump in and out. But he was our first general manager of Ducks Unlimited Canada. There's a lot of information on Tom Maine while he was at Ducks Unlimited. And there's a little bit before. Um, can you kind of give us just an entry of who he is? So as I've said before about Ducks Unlimited, the Mount Rushmore of DU Canada would absolutely include Tom Main. Tom Main was the pivotal figure. Uh, one of the one of something that Ducks Unlimited and DU Canada have done very well. They they always seem to have the right leader at the right time. And man, they hired a great leader in Tom Main. Tom was born in England in 1887. He grew up in Pincher Creek, Alberta. During World War One, he was an engineer for both the British and Canadian forces and left the service as a lieutenant and very quickly moved into working with water and conservation. He was employed by the Canadian National Railway. And his primary job with CN Rail was prairie surface water engineer. Oh, that's perfect. It is. And so his... his job was to, in Prairie Canada, source water for the steam locomotives. And not only did they have to source the water, then they had to move the water close to the railway. And he was very good at it. In fact, he was so good at water issues, he was loaned to other provinces. He worked in, I believe, Bermuda uh, for a for a time uh, dealing with drought issues and water storage issues. So when Ducks Unlimited began to work in DU Canada, they actually found him through the Canadian Railway, and he was actually on loan to Ducks Unlimited Canada from the railroad. One of the things that made him so perfect for his role with Ducks Unlimited, there are two strategies for water, ditching and damming. And he believed in damming building large reservoirs to store water. And he operated from the belief that sooner or later it's going to rain, and if we have the proper containment facility, we'll be able to hold the water when we need it. Right. Whereas ditching and moving water was far less effective. So that was the strategy that would become critical in the early days of those very first Ducks Unlimited uh, projects. So one thing important to know about Tom Maine, he was well-known across Prairie Canada. He was not just a DU guy. He was also uh, instrumental with the Canadian Conservation Institute. Okay. And 
the CCI was the formidable conservation organization in Canada. They worked primarily in Prairie Canada. He was president in 1935. So he, he played a lead role, and their focus was primarily soil and water conservation. And just as we talked a little bit earlier about Aldo Leopold and, you know, part of what was happening in the prairies of the United States, areas which had been drained for farming should never have been drained for farming. Right. That situation was even more manifest in Canada. And once they began to drain those prairie swamps, those mass grasslands, calamity ensued. That land should never, ever have been cleared for agriculture. And am I right? Like when they cleared that land, it also wasn't like the soil wasn't good for crops. Soil types were terrible. Yeah, that's right. And if you look at some of the early DU maps, um, and they're fairly, call them crude, but they would list the soil type. And you didn't have very a very deep topsoil. And below the topsoil, you got into something known as peat moss. And when fires would break out on the prairie, as often happened during period of drought, those peat bogs would burn for years. You simply couldn't put them out. So challenging time on the prairies. It's my understanding that he was loaned kind of between all organizations. One, the railroad didn't want to necessarily give him up. Two, we didn't know how we were going to do in a year. Or did Thomas, he was unsure that it would he would still have a job in a year. So the other thing that we're dealing with here is a lack of money. Right. Uh, as we've talked earlier, the DU organization in the United States had a goal of raising $600,000 a year over a five years in a row. Their fundraising results were far less successful. They only raised $100,000. Tom Main had to start an organization from scratch, hire a, a team, and begin operation. And so what an incredible, if you read these early history books and some of the better books that tell this history better than I can uh, is the book Ducks and Men, 40 Years of Cooperation and Conservation by Bill Leach, a former DU Canada biologist. The other book is Kip Farrington, and the title of the book is The Ducks Came Back. Oh, that's my favorite. And, and you know, that's such an amateurish book. I love, I just love the language in that book. It's great. Well, and the other thing about that book, um, that book got DU in trouble. Right. Because the author, Kip Farrington, overstated greatly the impact of Ducks Unlimited. And the head of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service at the time, I believe his last name was Day, criticized Ducks Unlimited for taking undue credit for the return of waterfowl. One of the cool things that happened right as Ducks Unlimited was starting in 1937, 1938, rains came, the drought ended. And so in the cycle of drought on the prairie, as it ended, ducks responded dramatically. And it coincided with Ducks Unlimited. So doing good community relations, good public relations, DU took advantage of it. This author, Kip Farrington, this was not an authorized DU history. If you know anything about the author, Kip Farrington, he was a big game fisherman, huge duck hunter. He wrote over 50 books in his lifetime, and he had ingratiated himself with all of the leading sportsmen of that era. And in fact, when you look at the history of DU, one of our early presidents was A.C. Glissell, Pops Glissell from Shreveport, Louisiana. So Glissell made a fortune in the oil and gas industry 
His son, who lived to be 95 and became even more incredibly wealthy, his son was at the time the record holder for catching a fish on rod and reel off the U.S. coast. And Kip Farrington wrote a book about it, and it was called Fishing with Glissell and Hemingway. And so this guy had all these wacky titles about hunting and fishing. So this book about ducks, which which I agree with you, it's a charming book. And the photographs that he was able to collect are pretty interesting, but he greatly overstated the impact of what the organization did. One of the things that Tom Main was focused on was his his terminology was drought-proofing the prairies. And so the directive given from Arthur Bartley and the DU Inc. Board of Directors was, look, you've got a little bit of money and a short amount of time, and you need to find the biggest projects that you can possibly do that will dramatically improve conditions. And what they said, they said, we want before and after photos. Our people need to see what it looked like before the DU work got done, and they want to see what it looks like after. And so the first projects were Big Grass Marsh in Manitoba, which is the very famous first DU project, Waterhen Marsh in Saskatchewan, and something called Mini Island Lake in Alberta. What was interesting, they had given them a goal of 100,000 acres conserved in one year. They actually dramatically over-delivered on that, and they conserved 155,000 acres. Their budget was 100,000, and I believe they spent only 83,000. So kind of typical DU efficiency, even then, we ran a pretty tight ship. Yeah, there is one thing, and we've mentioned it before, but as you go through this history, so much of what we do today and like things, issues and things that's came on there, like it's repetitive. It's like the same story over and over again. It is. And it's, and some, and Katie, it's kind of the same model. It's Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, our board mandates incredible efficiency and, you know, as an employee, everything we do, we we try to do it as inexpensively as possible. Uh, That's why the volunteer network, even then was so important. It is even more important today. So, Speaking of volunteers, yeah. one of the cool things that Tom Main did, and I, in fact, I kind of, I just can't imagine that we actually did what we did with this this group of volunteers known as Key Men. Key Men was spelled, interestingly enough, K-E-E-M-A-N. And the Key Men, or E-N, the Key Men were a group of volunteers primarily across Canada, and they were... Bankers, doctors, farmers, veterinarians, they came from all walks of life. Some of those key men volunteered for over 50 years. So the key men program was started in 1938. And in the most uh, up-to-date definitive history of DU Canada, written by one of our most gifted employees, Dr. Bruce Batt, the book The Marsh Keeper's Journey goes into great detail about the key men Bill Leach's book actually has some of the early records, examples of records kept by key men. In Bruce's book, it says that the records up to 2001, we still had key men volunteers in Canada. And so the key men volunteers had responsibilities that they were to focus on. And they also were made to sign a pledge card. And so Tom Main created a pledge card. And when you became a key man, you had to complete the pledge card and send it send it in. 
So real quick, let me tell you the responsibilities of a key man. The key men perform the following duties. Spring burning. And so there's a huge uh, conservation role for burning fields during the proper time. And before Ducks Unlimited Canada and before the key men, unfortunately, many farmers and ranchers burn their fields at the wrong time. Right, after nesting, basically. They, yes, they would burn the fields after the ducks had nested. Of course, it's calamity for waterfowl. So Ducks Unlimited literally went door to door, farmer to farmer, and explained, hey, if you will delay or accelerate your schedule, this can be done before the birds have nested. So spring nesting was uh, an important component. They wanted all burning done by April 15th. So in addition to the aerial survey, which was so pivotal for waterfowl census, at one time there were as many as 3,000 key men doing bird surveys, and they would do bird counts. And there are some great photographs of key men standing on the edge of a marsh with a pair of binoculars trying to identify species of birds, bird counts. Summer duck reports, uh, they wanted a good report on the success of the of the spring brood, the spring hatch, haying. So haying was very important. So in this prairie grass hay environment where cattle are so important, the time in which you harvested your hay was critical. And so they had the key men, again, working with ranchers, trying to encourage the proper time for cutting hay. So the other thing that they would do is drought salvage. And I'm not sure what today's waterfowl scientists would think about this, but during this era of the 30s, drought salvage was during their regular inspections in the field, if they found broods of waterfowl dying from drought, they were to collect those waterfowl and relocate them to a proper area. They did that by the hundreds of thousands. And you know, again, I don't know what science today thinks about that, but that was part of what the key men did in that era. <clears throat> the other thing they would do, they would report on uh, fall burning and plowing, and then, of course, the freeze-up report. And what was interesting, all of the information provided by the key men, there was a, I believe it was a monthly report called the Duckological. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Yes, that's what it was called. Yeah. So DU Canada, and you got you have to give credit to Tom Maine. The work that he did was done with a handful of less than seven or eight people. A, a name that I would like to put out there is Ed Russenholt. Ed Russenholt was a public relations guy for a large life insurance company in Toronto. Man, this guy was awesome. Yeah, he was. So he was an artist. He was a cartoonist. He did a lot of the line drawings that DU Canada used in their early newsletters. Uh, even today at our national headquarters, you see examples of Ed Russenholt's cartoons. <clears throat> they told a wonderful story. You know, earlier when we talked about Ding Darling, during that era, people responded to cartoons. Ed Russenholt was a great drawer 
and a great uh, cartoonist. Bert Cartwright was the chief naturalist. And not only was he the chief naturalist, but Bert was also the primary bird authority for the province of Winnipeg. And when Ducks Unlimited first started, and the word got out that there were, hey, there's a new conservation organization. They're trying to conserve water. They're trying to help waterfowl. Almost overnight throughout the provinces, municipal districts, provincial governments, landowners, all reached out to Ducks Unlimited Canada and said, hey, I've got a project. You could do this on my land and it would be very beneficial. And so Burke Cartwright personally inspected every proposed project that came to Ducks Unlimited 55, Canada. 55, right? Pardon? I think it was around 55 of them. Yes, that were yes, in the first year. Uh, the other name to share is George Faust. And don't know much about George, but he was the first engineer. This organization rocks along for three or four years until World War II. World War II had a very huge impact on both fundraising in the United States. It had a huge impact on delivery in Canada. And one of the greatest challenges some of DU's top employees enlisted. You know, in World War II, everybody wanted to serve. In the United States, um, Arthur Bartley had been a naval officer in World War I. He was ordered back to service in World War II. And so Arthur Bartley was the primary fundraiser helping fund that $100,000 that would go to Canada. So Tom Main, who was primarily a conservation delivery person, suddenly found himself thrust into this new role of being a fundraiser and a public speaker. And in these books, I've confirmed it in two or three different places. During this time period of the, of the war years, Tom Main was traveling over 100,000 miles a year by train and by car, traveling into the United States. And there's some pretty cool stories about Tom Main as a speaker, Tom Main as a friend of outdoor writers. He would appear on radio shows and talk about what's going on with DU in Canada. Reader's Digest carried an early, early story about Ducks Unlimited. And of course, Tom Main was the person they reached out to. We've seen in the world of journalism change dramatically. And there was a time being an outdoor writer was a was a pretty big deal. All major dailies had an outdoor writer. Today, because the world of journalism has changed dramatically, there are very few full-time outdoor writers. A name of a man from Milwaukee by the name of Gordon McQuarrie is identified as really the first outdoor writer. He was employed by the Milwaukee Journal. Uh, he was a sports writer, but his passion was hunting and fishing. And he transitioned his section of the newspaper from being a general sports writer to almost exclusively focusing on outdoor. He had a huge following. Folks today have a hard time understanding how big outdoor activities were, especially in the upper Midwest. And, you know, I've heard numbers of statistics about the number of people who deer hunt on opening day in Wisconsin. More people in Wisconsin have guns than the U.S. military. Everybody in Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, Indiana, Illinois, they're huge hunters. And so someone like Gordon McCreary had a huge following. If you were a deer hunter, a duck hunter, a bass fisherman, that's what you read in the newspaper. He became enamored with Tom Main. Tom Main used to travel to Milwaukee. He would show a film strip or a film at a DU dinner. In advance of that visit, he would visit Gordon McCreary. And Gordon McCreary would tell all of his readers you need to be at Assembly Hall 
on Thursday night because Tom Main from DU Canada is going to be there with his annual DU Canada update and the film strip. And they would fill the assembly hall with all of Gordon McCreary's faithful readers who wanted to know what was going on with DU Canada. So if you read, especially in the book, The Ducks Came Back, you see that Tom Main is traveling all over the United States. You hear, you read about him at duck clubs in Louisiana, duck clubs, the Bear River in Utah. So Tom Main actually, he would spend four months a year during this time period in the United States raising money to keep Ducks Unlimited Canada alive. I want to go back a little bit because you've mentioned a lot of things about Tom Main. And there's one overall theme that I find with him. I guess I would say it really starts with um, Many Island Lake. He, It's his kind of his personality and his in, like inability to ever give up at things. Like with Many Island Lake was kind of, he kind of fails a good bit in the right. beginning, but he keeps it going till it's a success with World War II. I mean, is it true that we might not have even been here? We'd have stopped after World War II if it wasn't for Tom Maine? I think that's a safe statement. The other thing I would say about Tom Maine was he had charisma. Yes. And he had thick, curly white hair. He could only see out of one eye. He smoked cigars. Um, He's got to be the most photographed early DU person. <laughs> exactly. When you look at these early books, uh, it's Tom Maine. And, you know, from a board of director perspective, Tom Main, you know, John Tomke says something today about who are the five faces of DU. You know, who, who, which people are the faces of Ducks Unlimited to our, to our board, to our members. I promise you in the 30s and 40s, it was Tom Main. Tom Main. The other part was Arthur Bartley, for all he was in the United States, fairly anonymous figure. Yeah. Tom Main was the, was the face of the organization. The other thing, <clears throat> I can't say enough about this, Ed Russenholt. Yes. They really knew what they were doing from a PR perspective. There's a great photograph of Tom Main releasing a banded hen. And the photograph just completely captures, I mean, he, it's very dramatic. It's very introspective. You can see that man truly loves that bird. And I think people just connected with him. And the other thing that I want to share, there are also photos of Arthur Bartley and Tom Main together. And, you know, today we know that both in DU Canada and the United States, that shared leadership model that is continental, you know, in, in we have DU Inc., DU Mexico, DU Canada. It's very important that those volunteer leaders and the paid staff leaders work very well together, and they do. The average member of Ducks Unlimited does not realize these are three separate organizations. Right. I, I all the time as in my travels, and I'm telling the DU story, it dawns on me these guys don't realize that DU Canada is not us. That's a that's a separate organization, and it's always been fairly seamless. And I go back to Tom Main and Arthur Bartley. It was obvious that Arthur Bartley was very willing to share the limelight and let this charismatic person be the face of DU for that period. And hats off to Ed Russenholt, who helped identify him as that face of Ducks Unlimited. Yeah, I mean, and you have to mention with Ed Russenholt, 
there's two big projects that he kind of partners with Tommy, and that's the Lakes Project, mm-hmm. which we can talk about. And then you mentioned earlier the films. Like, if it wasn't for Ed Rosenholt, we wouldn't have had those films. Yeah, those films, I mean, back to the, the medium of film was still in its infancy, and the fact that a conservation organization had these film strips, um, it, it's very interesting, uh, Katie, and you've seen them in our archives here the Ducks Unlimited fundraising machine, as recently as the 90s, we were still sending real, real-to-real movies to DU dinners. And, you know, you grew up going to DU dinners. I've been going to DU dinners for 30 years. Can you imagine today if they tried to get everyone's attention to stop the raffles, stop the camaraderie? Hey, we have a 15-minute film we want you to watch about eiders or <laughs> what's going on in the prairies. But in that era, people were so hungry for news and information about their favorite sport that those films were very important. The other thing, I guess, in his personality that we we haven't mentioned, we talk about his charisma and his inability mm-hmm. to give up, but he was extremely hands-on in the field. And how important do you think that was in the beginning? Leading by example. I think that was critically important. And number one, there weren't but about 10 employees at the time. And But they're seen by all those key men as we want to we wanna help them be successful. And when you see this correspondence and the way they acknowledged, communicated, and inspired the key men, that was a huge part of his job was keeping that volunteer field force in the field. And you have to give it to DU Canada. They did. They had something really special during that period with the key men. And if you look at the secret ingredient for Ducks Unlimited today, it's not us. No, it's our volunteers. It's our volunteers. The volunteers are what make us the envy of the conservation world. Every other conservation group or alumni group or civic club would love to have our core of passionate volunteers. So one thing we ought to talk about with Tom Main. I also want to mention with him being out of the field, he wasn't a young man when he got to DU. He was like 52. That's right. And, you know, we kind of know where he came from. What we don't know, we don't know a lot about him after he left. And so he left in 1947, and it says that he retired in 1947. And the other name we want to mention here is Al Hochbaum. So Al Hochbaum and Tom Main got into a very public feud. And Al Hochbaum, much like the head of the Fish and Wildlife Service, criticized Ducks Unlimited for overstating the efforts of Ducks Unlimited. I should also mention Al Hochbaum was with Delta Waterfowl. And they weren't known as Delta Waterfowl at the time, but essentially he was on the Delta Marsh. And Al Hochbaum was a student of Aldo Leopold. He was an incredibly important and influential waterfowl and habitat researcher. And Al Hochbaum, to this day, still has followers who believe in what he extolled from his position in science. So he and Tom Main had a public dust-up. And, you know, Tom Main was not going to back down from the credit that he thought DU Canada deserved for improving waterfowl numbers. And in Bruce Batt's book, Bruce says, you know, that feud between Al Hochbaum and Thomas Maine was never resolved. And 
in Bruce's book, it speaks to, you know, there, there always seem to be these little bit of issues with DU and Delta. Um, and I'm on the, I'm on the front end of it. And I can promise listeners that whenever and wherever possible, DU and Delta work hand in hand. Our former CEO, Dale Hall, when he first came to DU and he first became immersed in our history and he understood the challenges of that dynamic relationship between DU and Delta, Dale famously said, you know, there are only two organizations which work for the benefit of waterfowl. We ought to find a way to get along. And we took that very seriously. Yeah. And I know our leaders and their leaders do meet on a regular basis. We, whenever possible, try to partner both on the science and the policy side of waterfowl. Well, all right. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dan. Pleasure to be with you. Thanks again to our special guest, Dan Thiel. Thanks to our producer, Clay Baird. And thanks to you, our listeners, for supporting wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.